0: subspace is your network provider for real-time applications subspace uses their own global network and deeply intelligent routing algorithms to make sure your traffic takes the lowest latency path between two points with excellent jitter and drop performance when compared to the public internet accelerate your applications at get.subspace.com network and we thank subspace for being a sponsor
1: Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everyone. Welcome back to the Full Stack Journey podcast where we talk about the ongoing evolution of the IT professional. Thanks so much for listening. I am your host, Scott Lowe, and my goal on the show today, as always, is to help equip and prepare listeners for their journey of learning across the full stack of technologies that are present in today's data centers and public cloud environments. Now, today, uh, I have a guest joining me who's going to be talking about I don't know if I would call it an emerging technology. It's been around for a little while, but it hasn't quite hit mainstream in some areas yet. Uh, We're going to be talking about something called Open Policy Agent. And joining me to discuss his experience with Open Policy Agent is uh, Diego Comas. Diego, how are you today?
2: Hello, I'm very well. Thank you. Great, great. Thanks for having me here.
1: Well, I appreciate you coming on. I was just mentioning before we got started with the show that, you know, you're you're based uh, there in in Spain, it's the afternoon, it's the weekend, and you're taking time to be on a podcast, so I I, I really appreciate it. Thank you for your time.
2: Yeah, no problem. And I'm very passionate about this topic as well, so it's not the pain for me.
1: <laughs> well, awesome, awesome. We love having passionate people on the show. Uh, uh, Diego, why don't you take a moment and just tell listeners a little bit about you know who you are and your experience, and uh, then we'll just jump right in talking about what OPA is and how people can use it.
2: So my name is Diego Comas. I've been working in IT for many years, more than 10 now, and I've been usually involved around everything around automation, infrastructure, security, and from individual contributor to being a manager and leading teams. And during these years and the last few years, I've been well exposed to technologies like OPA and... I've able to leverage the features that it can provide. But about me, mainly being in IT for a while, I've been in many areas, and lately I'm more focused on security and the security aspect, security engineering, automation, and everything.
1: Awesome. Perfect. Well, thank you, Diego. Appreciate it. Um, so uh, I mentioned, you know, we're, we're talking about Open Policy Agent, or OPA, And you are coming on the show as a user, a consumer of OPA. So you're not here speaking on behalf of, you know, the company that sponsors OPA or the open source project or anything like that, which I think is great because listeners, you know, that are listening to the show. They're going to be in the same position. They're just like, Hey, we just want to use this thing. Right. So I think your experience is just perfect. And I'm so excited to have you on the show, but uh, you know, for, for listeners who aren't familiar with OPA, like they're like, what is this thing you're talking about? This open policy agent, what do you know? Can you just, you know, in your own words, describe what it is and, and you know, kind of sort of what it does?
2: Yeah. So OPA, it's the open policy agent, and it's an open source um, tool and project made by a company called Stira. And it's a general purpose policy engine that it's going to help in many areas. Mainly, it has a lot of adoption in the cloud native environments and infrastructure, but it can be it's very flexible, and it helps to decouple policy decisions from other parts of the applications, for example, which is something that historically can be tedious in doing different attribute-based access control decisions or things like that. So one of the very powerful things about OPA, it's it's being flexible in decoupling of the policy decisions.
1: Awesome. Okay. So we've got OPA as a sort of a... Dedicated policy engine that separates the the you know let's say the the analysis of policies from the enforcement of policies and so then things work together you know you define your policies in OPA and then it evaluates those policies and then lets components know you know this action that you're trying to you know check is either allowed or denied or you know whatever the case may be yep yeah. perfect, okay, and so it's super flexible um, which i would I would say you know probably. Anytime in IT, we talk about things being flexible, we also add a certain level of complexity. <laughs> would you would you say that's fair here? Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, yeah, that that's correct. I think that um, one of the main advantages is, as I said before, being flexible enough to cover multiple types of environments, like. You can do it for um, things like linters. You can do for things like um, cloud native technologies integrated in things like service meshes and queue systems decisions, but also applications. So this flexibility comes with a price of, I can say from my perspective, there's a little bit of steep curve at the beginning in learning because you need to be used to the DSL that OPA is using, which is called RIGO. And it's in a specific language for the purpose of these policies. And it takes a little bit to be, in my opinion, agile with this language. But once you know the basics, it's very robust and easy to read. So and that's related to the complexity. Yeah. It takes a little bit of time at the beginning, but once you are comfortable with it, it saves you a lot of times. So if you could try to replicate the same feature with other things, like for example Python or other languages.
1: Gotcha. Okay. Now I'm going to come back to sort of the the learning curve because you know part of the purpose of our show is to help listeners learn these technologies and and you know give them some resources. I always tell my guests that you know we want to focus on wherever we can at least. Focus on providing sort of very real world practical information for the listeners, right? But before we get there, let's let's set the stage for listeners in a little bit. And if you can, in very generic terms, um, you know, share with some of the listeners some of the things that you did with OPA, right? Some of the ways that you put it to work for you. Uh, and that will sort of help, I think, give listeners an idea of some of the things they they could possibly do with it. Yeah, I can
2: talk of a few of the projects that me and my colleagues and my previous teams and current teams are working together with OPA to solve some problems. Historically, as I said, there was more momentum in terms of, for example, Kubernetes, how you integrate some controls in Kubernetes using OPA. So one of the main examples is like you want to put something like an admission controller, like um, Gatekeeper, and then you define some rules and constraints with OPA and, and the Rigo language. So you can say things like, I don't want that the manifest or this Kubernetes object or the YAML definition includes this specific parameter. My policy is going to be defined in Rigo, and when Open Policy Agent tries to match the input, which is the JSON, it's comparing and it's saying this is correct or this should be denied. And for example, the classic example in Kubernetes is like, I don't want external container registries for my clusters. So you can put like something like an allowed list of registries that it's going to be in your policy. And then when it's doing the match, it's going to block or allow. That's one of the specific examples. But you can go a little bit more deeper. I'm just starting a little bit gradually for people that is not used to it. So that's a simple example. Then you can do a little bit more advanced in terms of properties of the, the pot spec, the pot specification, in terms of what do you want. Like for example, I've been in many situations that it has been really useful. Something like I don't want to allow these kind of um public ingress in this environment. So I define a policy that in all this code, we shouldn't allow the public and only internal load balances, internal ingress. And then with OPA and additional tools, you can enforce that and have the assurance that you are going to comply with what you decide. It's helping to streamline and what's the strength of shift and security left for my specific case, defining things early so people get feedback early in the software development life cycle and then have a structure and a more robust configuration which usually is the main pain of a lot of the a lot of problems and the exposure for breaches. So um, I can go with more examples I don't know you want me to go in another area that was and I've been spending a lot of time on the Kubernetes area then you can You can do other things like, for example, a lot of people use Kafka. And then you can do authorization controls with OPA, like a plugin. And also you can do integrations with other application logic. So you can run OPA as a binary, but also you can run it as a library. So if in your application or your microservice, you define rules or access controls you can leverage that and help you. And there are many examples in their website, but for example, in the past, it has been really useful for defining attributes of access to parts of the database. So depending the type of role that your user has in the application, you have a policy defined in Rico. And then when the query is executed, it delegates to OPA the decision of the policy and then yes and no and then it provides the access to the data so as i was saying at the beginning kubernetes examples admission controllers potter specifications integrations with plugins like kafka integrations with microservices and many other options so that's one of the things that i like it's very powerful and can be extensible because you can use it in different situations as I said, it's difficult to start with the language and understand everything, but once you know, you can apply it in multiple layers, which is going to save you a lot of time.
1: Yeah, that last point um, was really something I was thinking about as I'm listening to you, Is like, yeah, there might be a bit of a learning curve, uh, you know, getting started, but once you have done that, the ability then to say, I'm going to leverage the same policy language and the same constructs across these different environments is a big plus, like you're not learning one DSL for policy in Kubernetes and other DSL for policy in your service mesh and DSL for policy in application AuthN or auth z, you know, whatever the case may be, right? It's one policy language across all of those. Now, I wanna unpack a little bit just, I think I have a pretty good understanding of how all these different components fit together, but I just wanna make sure that listeners who are kind of new to this space, make sure they understand, focusing on the Kubernetes use case, we talked about OPA, you talked about Gatekeeper. In this particular case, Gatekeeper is sort of the glue that actually kind of puts it in to Kubernetes. It's the piece that takes those, those Kubernetes decisions and sort of passes them off to OPA in the form of the emission controller. Is that correct? Correct.
2: Yeah, it's, um, it's Gatekeeper. It's, uh, it's, it has been developed by um, a lot of teams like... Um, I think it's Michelle Tsang, but, sorry if I mistake, but people at, um, with collaboration at Microsoft and other places, but it helps uh, apart from Gatekeeper, the alternative in Kubernetes in the past was something like pod security policies. And as an admission controller, Gatekeeper is helping to try to be more flexible that the way that the first version of pod security policy was defined. And then it tries to help to find some templates and constraints with the Rego language to be able to control many things in Kubernetes before it gets deployed, that specific object. And as you mentioned, it can be considered like, um, let's say a high level, a wrapper with more features to, to define those, those policies. It's, a, it's mainly leveraging the Rego language and structuring that way. And I think it has become one of the main options in terms of admission controllers for clusters because, as I was mentioning, pod security policies, the version one has been deprecated. It's going to be removed in a few versions in Kubernetes in a year. And then the new version will come, but it m- might not be as flexible as Gatekeeper. The same applies to Gatekeeper, it takes a little bit of time to get used to it, but then Once you you know the structure, the constraints, and you can even use some auxiliary tooling to generate the constraints more easily, it it helps a lot. And in Dems, for example, another example is we have Gatekeeper using the language in Kubernetes as an admission controller, but then we also have things like ConfTest. ConfTest is a a tool that it's us as well, like a wrapper, and it helps a lot in terms of the static code analysis of configuration files. So Contest automatically detects the different types of files and languages. Like you can input Terraform file, HCL, you can input a YAML file, Kubernetes, you can input a Docker file, and usually it tries to detect automatically. Then you define some policies in Rego, and then you have an output if it's approved or denied. This is very helpful, as I was saying, in the shift left. So when you commit code, you can put something like a git hook or a test that will say, okay, conf test. Here's my Terraform code, and this is the policies that I have. Something like, oh, I don't want that when someone creates an EBS volume or an RDS instance in AWS, I don't want that the encryption parameter, it's empty, or something like that. This is a basic example but ConfTest will help you a lot on that. And it's a simple wrapper with a lot of helper tools included that will simplify that testing at, at the early stages.
1: Yeah, that's that's super powerful because, like, it's great that we could use OPA to enforce policy as we are deploying applications, right, to say, oh, I only want you to pull your images from a specific set of registries, or maybe even I only want you to you know, to use a specific set of images, right? You know, a blessed image that you know, comes from a certain place, right? That might be a bit too constraining, but still, the the you know the possibility exists there. But it would be it's it's even more powerful to say, well, I'm going to use this this rego language to do that there. But I'm also going to use the regal language to go sort of farther back in the lifecycle and say even before we stand up the infrastructure that's going to host that Kubernetes cluster, right? I want you to make sure that the Terraform or whatever code you're using there is appropriately passing a set of security parameters that we are, you know, securing, uh, you know, database instances or, uh, you know, the right, you know, there's, there's not a um, a security group that says allow all traffic from the internet or something like that, right? You know, that you're being very yeah. specific about what that is. So that's, that's very powerful. And, and, and as you mentioned, sort of allows you to, to embed the, this testing and this policy enforcement all along the life cycle, right? I mean, I could see using ConfTest test in a CI CD pipeline that runs your infrastructure as code assets, or you know, even as you're building uh, images or whatever, You know, throw a Docker file, you're gonna run a conf test in the Docker file before you go build the image to make sure the image gets built according to directives that are, are not allowed in the Docker file. So super powerful stuff. Okay, so we have an idea of what we can do with OPA, which is lots, um, but as we pointed out, Sometimes flexibility means increased complexity. And you've mentioned, you know, sort of a learning curve. So, you know, looking back on your own experience, getting familiar with OPA, what was the, what was the hardest part about learning it? Was it, was it Rego? Was it something else? And, you know, what, would, what sort of advice would you have to somebody who's, who wants to take this on? Yeah. And so
2: obviously start small with things that are simple to test that if you're doing it right or wrong. It's if you If you want to to go through an authorization authentication cycle of defining concatenated policies or things like that is going to be a nightmare to start tackling something complex. So we'll go for simple wins at the beginning. And for that it's very helpful to start with the Rigo playground. This is a website that you can put your online, put your input, uh, define the policy on the right and see the execution result. So that's going to help you a lot in terms of saying, "Oh, am I doing right or wrong?" Once you you're comfortable with basic with the basic syntax of of Rego, I'll recommend reading a little bit the documentation in the official site of OPA for the Rego languages, and then you can start doing more complex things that will be not just static assignments like, oh. I need to do something a little bit more, more dynamic. I need a function that checks and then a helper function within your RIGO policy that is going to check another list of variable result that it's not static. It's not, you can, you can then include some more regex checks or additional things that are going to make it more complex to test with more cases. And that's when it gets a little bit more tricky.
1: Gotcha, okay. So to summarize, then, you know, for folks who are coming into this new, um, first, you know, start small with a very well-defined sort of use case, right? And I guess I want to call out something you mentioned, and that is, you know, you're looking for things that can be evaluated down to essentially a yes-no, right? Yeah, well, basically,
2: the policy engine is always going to say yes-no, but when I mean yes-no, I mean uh, that there are few parameters. like. If, you, if you're trying to define, let's say, I was working in fintech and, for example, if you wanted to define like, oh, this type of user that has this type of product that also has this type of shared account that also has this type of parameters and properties and you put many, many, many conditionals, it's going to be a nightmare. It's it's much easier to do something like, oh, I have this string. It's going to be a match. Oh, no. Then star by then. And then you can add, oh, Instead of one string, I'm going to have a list. And then you know that from that list, you should match or not match. And then add more the dynamic variables or things that are optional. So instead, it's always going to be yes or no because that's the purpose of the uh, policy engine. But it's more like, can you test it? So one of the advantages of rigors that you can do you can test the rules, you can you can test the policies. So that's very helpful as well. But start with the small cases because otherwise it's it's getting more
1: confused. Right, right, right. That makes sense. So start small and then layer on, as you become more and more comfortable with Rego. Um, I think the thing that I wanted to call out, um, and, and you reiterated this, so you answered the question, is that you know, you when you're going into this, you want to think of the policy as ultimately you pointed out, you know, the engine's gonna come back with a yes-no. So you want you want to have to. You want to think about the policy as I, all I'm getting out of this is a yes/no. Like you can't build some sort of complex decision tree. Like if this go do that, if this go do that, if this go do that. Like in the end, the policy is going to, you know, the engine is going to come back and say that combination of rules that you defined is a yes or a no, right? And so people have to think about that. They may be coming into this thinking that this might be some sort of, you know, orchestration engine that you know steers people along a path, right? And I'm sure you could do that ultimately with a, a you know big set of policies, but like within each policy, you're coming back to a result, and that result is going to be you know true, false, yes, no, you know one, zero, right? It's it's a it's a binary sort of thing.
2: Yeah, I think that one of the advantages because you can do that kind of testing with other languages and and other tools, but one of the advantages is like how easy is for other people to read your policies and define those those conditions, and I think that's one of the powers from my perspective because I'm a little bit used I'm used to it um but for example if many teams need to share the policies in different languages like oh this infrastructure team does the kubernetes testing in python so there's some tooling in python that checks for example deprecated versions of the apis using kubernetes or there's some tooling that it's using some other all languages to do other executions. So one of the as I'm reiterating the advantages is one style of defining policies, one style of defining things. And then the problem is you know, we we can talk about it later if you want like in the or we can talk about it now.
1: No, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, we're we're on a roll. Let's keep on going. Yeah. Okay. So
2: it's um I really like OPA Rego. Really it has been super helpful to me. But as one of your episodes that I heard when for example one was like scaling infrastructures code so it has a similar problem in terms of when you're one or two members just making all the policies integrating all the all the tools either in kubernetes the applications so the pipelines everywhere it's more or less easy to do changes and and to distribute the rules once you scale it's getting very complex in terms of okay Team A wanted these rules for environment A, but then team B wanted a condition that if it's environment A, do it this way, but if it's environment B, let's do these other policies. Team C didn't want none of those policies because they have a release of a new product and they want it in a different way. So that's when it gets messy because then you need to decide, okay, are we going to centralize the rules? Are we going to distribute the rules for each team? How are we going to roll out different changes how is that going to be applied for everywhere and some people is copy pasting and reusing and then it gets very messy so in my opinion you need to be careful once you grow and once you scale with this because otherwise it's going to be a nightmare
0: We interrupt the podcast to discuss network acceleration with sponsor subspace the subspace product set is pretty straightforward They are all about getting your traffic from one place to another via the fastest possible route faster than the internet would do it Now you might be thinking the internet's not slow. So what's going on here that i'm going to get excited about subspace? Network nerds might know a little about the complex decision process BGP goes through to select the packet forwarding path through the global internet. One of the key metrics in BGP path selection is AS path. The lower the number of autonomous systems in the path, the more likely that path is to be selected. But that doesn't mean BGP is choosing the fastest path, and that's where subspace comes in subspace has its own global network and runs its own routing algorithm to be sure that your traffic is getting from point a to point b via the fastest path possible and if you have applications where latency matters you really really care about this any latency you can shed will improve the user experience for your real-time applications what do we mean by real-time applications voice and video applications including sip applications like gaming fintech transportation database synchronization and my network Engineering career. I've had to support fintech voice video and database sync over transcontinental distances, and latency was the enemy I've always had to work around. Right, subspace, they can't change the laws of physics, but they can give your real time apps an edge with what they describe as a faster internet. Subspace promises to improve not just latency, but also loss and jitter, another enemy of real time applications. Because if the packets don't show up on time or at all, they just don't matter and the user misses out. Subspace is developer-friendly with a full API and inline DDoS mitigation that keeps the app running, even in the face of the bad guys doing bad guy things. And Subspace makes it easy to get started. There's a free tier of their global IP proxy accelerator product that lets you test if Subspace is right for your application. There are several other products designed for specific use cases you can explore, and many of those have pay-as-you-go pricing. To get started, visit get.subspace.com That's get.subspace. Dot com slash network. And if you do rock up on their doorstep, do me a favor. Would you tell them you heard about them on the Packet Pushers podcast network? Thanks a lot for doing that. And our thanks to Subspace for being a sponsor.
1: Well, that's, I mean, that's really important advice to know. I mean, it, it's, it's so easy to find uh, people who will say, oh, you know, uh, infrastructure is code for everything. And, that, and, that, and that's fine, right? But there are these process and and people oriented challenges um you know uh, i think the the episode you're referring to is probably the one with um with uh, tim davis uh where we're talking about scaling infrastructures code beyond you know a single engineer and so you know having the real world experience of a of a practitioner like yourself who has used the product and seen the challenges and knowing that okay you know Getting started with OPA, I, I need to learn Rego. Okay, that's fine. You know there are resources for that, and you know listeners, we're going to put links in the in the show notes to all the stuff that um, Diego's mentioned, um, so that you can follow up on that. But you know, okay, I need to go do this. I go learn Rego, but then to know that, hey, I have to address these people and process challenges as well when I start bringing more and more teams on, as I start bringing more people on who are going to manage the policy, right, and making sure that we're writing the policy in a consistent way. Do you want to enforce? Um, you know the 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 policy testing to ensure that um, you know every time you write a policy, you also write a policy test, much like you would do in in uh, traditional software development environments, right? These yeah. are the sort of things that you know you people who want listeners to think about. even if it may not affect them right away, at least have it in their mind so that they know going into it. Yeah, at that stage,
2: for example, it was a good problem for me in the past because it means like you have the um adoption that it's spreading throughout your company and people is seeing the value, people are just seeing that it's helping them and either way being more productive, creating the policies faster than other languages, easier to to understand what the policy is doing or whatever. That's a good thing. But at the same time, you have all these potential burden um, of, okay, now that we're going big, how are we going to help everyone not to break things? And yeah, there are... A few presentations that I really like, for example, one from the team at Yubico that they had to, at the scale, uh, all these uh, things. For example, they did it with Conftest, I think. And then there was another presentation from the Atlassian team as well, that they have millions of, of requests handled by OPA, and it's very, very interesting. Each company does it in a different way, but my, from my perspective it helps to have some kind of centralized registry where everyone knows where they are and they can have their own portion of their rules and policies. But if you want to do some updates or things like that throughout the company, then it's it's going to be easier. This comes with the price, like some teams were more technical independence and then they want to be more flexible to do changes by their own. So here it comes very complex in terms of the culture and the type of company. And also, for example, some teams wants to reuse your rules, but they want to do specific exceptions to specific cases. And then is when it gets very interesting and complex. But overall, I think it, it's worth it. And it helps. And for me, it has been quite cool.
1: Awesome. Awesome. Perfect. No, it's great to have, uh, again, you know, sort of the experience of somebody who's done it and, you know, has that, uh, you know, been there, done that uh, sort of experience, right? Uh, to be able to share with listeners so that as listeners start experimenting with open policy agent and start seeing that adoption, you know, you're right. It's a great thing. It means, you know, this effort, this project that you're working on is being successful. You're, you're consolidating policy and standardizing policy, but you also have to address some of these, uh, some of these challenges as you mentioned. So uh, we've, we've kind of talked a little bit along the way uh, about, you know, useful resources. Um, but I want to, I want to, you know, just kind of explicitly call out if there are any other resources that you have found particularly helpful. Some of the ones that I've heard mentioned so far, and we'll have links to these in the uh, show notes. You you mentioned the Rego Playground where people can go in and put uh, Rego policies in and test them and verify that they behave the way they expect them to behave, that sort of thing. And I know I saw just the other day that there was a Visual Studio Code plugin for Rego or for OPA, yeah, that's One correct. of the two. For, but either way that, you know, sort of brought some of that functionality into VS code, if that's your thing, uh, are there any other useful resources that you have encountered that you think listeners would, would also find uh, helpful? So mainly
2: from the in website, there are many, I, it was very helpful for me, the specific examples of the different integrations. That's very helpful. The, the docs as well of the of the Rigo language and what it's capable of doing. So when I had to to solve something, first I was looking the examples of the integrations in the website that they have many, like I I was saying before, integrating Kubernetes for for example for Kafka for databases and and even for mm-hmm. Envoy I think, and that will be in my case what is relevant in my specific environment. I'm going to see the, how they do an example of the integration because the specific policies are, are going to be similar no matter which environment or tool you're doing, but it's the integration that might be a little bit different. And the website with the docs of the Rigo language and the playground, it was, was very helpful for me. So first, how do I do this in, I don't know, Kafka, or how do I do this in Kubernetes? Then I'm going to try with the input that I'm expecting in my environment and put it in the Rigo playground and I see the equit output. That has been a, an easy an easy start for me. Then if if you don't want to, to use that playground, as you mentioned, you can do it with kind of a linter or reviewing the Visual Studio Code and you can you can test it on, on your own machine, things like that. But I will reiterate the website, examples of the integrations, and the docs of the language, what are all the parameters and things that you can do, examples of functions, examples of the objects and everything. And once you you know those ones, then you can go to the more sophisticated examples. And for those, I rely usually in more blog posts or examples from other companies and how they solve those challenges and we we can we can share some resources later, but that will be more advanced and there are many examples of other areas, like for example, one thing that I was missing before is like the real language in o p a is being adopted, but more areas. It looks like I'm someone selling o p a str but I'm not affiliated to the company. But one of the decisions when 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 I was um leading this team that we decided to choose this technology is like, okay. We like that it is open source, so we can review how it's done. we can We can keep it if if there's no maintainers or something, but it's also a backing of a company behind. but it's also the adoption that other tooling and other commercial tools and open source and other areas were going to use it. So for example, this tool, an open source tool called um forSETI from Google. and Forseti helps you in in many areas to define your strategist score policies and things like that before, I think before they were not using, but now they're able to use Rigo. So it's an example of many areas. I'm not I'm not mentioning the commercial companies because there are many using Rigo, but just mentioning an example of an open source tool from Google for SETI, now adopting Rigo, but also other open source tools, as I said, ConfTest, Geekkeeper, many others that are leveraging this. I'm not saying it's perfect, but I'm saying that it gets a lot of adoption and that was very helpful when I made the decision. So more examples, more recommendations and more use cases that are going to serve for my purpose at that company.
1: I think that's I think that's a good point, Diego. I mean, you know, as a technologist, having to evaluate technologies and, and choosing to decide what you will or will not include in the technology stack that you and your team are maintaining, you have to look at things like, you know, what sort of um, adoption is this technology seeing? Is there backing from a commercial company that I can get support from if I if I need to go that route? Am I able to, to choose a tool or a language that will help me solve multiple things at the same time instead of a bunch of different point solutions? Right. And these are all, you know, and then there's many, many, many more sort of facets. and and aspects that we have to consider when we're doing that. So to point out that, you know, there are other tools that are using Rego and providing um, this support, I think is an important thing to point out. And it, it is something that listeners need to know that like, hey, this, this language and this use isn't just here. There are other places that you can use it, other things you can do with it, other companies adopting it. And that means that other projects adopting it. And that means that it has, you know, nobody can tell the future, obviously, but it has a pretty good chance of being something that's going to stick around for a while and will be maintained and that sort of thing. So I think that's important to point out.
2: Yeah, and um, another thing is that it's more easy to find um, examples for how OPA and Rigo has been using infrastructure's code or the cloud-native spectrum of area. area, um, but it's, it's possible to, to use it in other areas. But I think it, it has been quickly adopted in the cloud-native tooling and the infrastructure code because there are more similar examples. I mean, someone in company A creating a cluster, RDS cluster in the region US, it's going to be the similar process of company B doing it. But in terms of, for example, microservices, and the access control and the attributes required for a specific query and... In a specific service connecting to another one, that's going to be a little bit more different. So that's why I think at the beginning it was much faster the adoption in the infrastructure scope area, but you can you can reduce it in other places. One thing that I wanted to point out that I'm, <laughs> otherwise I will be looking like a salesman from <laughs> in the people doing LPA is that there are other tools that maybe they can do in a specific task better than OPA and Rego. But that comes to the same um, same decision that I, we were discussing before. Like, for example, I know specific tools for doing policy decisions in Kubernetes with a tightly scoped uh, area that might be easier to write the policy and easier to, to share and deploy. But the problem is that, well, I can say the names, things like in, in in Kubernetes, but the problem is like once you use Kiberno there, you cannot use Kiberno in other areas. Like I was saying the static analysis code in pre-GitHook or something like that. So there can be, as an example of Kiberno, there can be other tools that might be doing the job easier. As I was saying, other the tests, static tests for Kubernetes or other controls, they, they are not portable to all the layers. And that's why, in my opinion, it's a good investment. For some people, if they are only scoped to do that specific job in their team because they're in a big company, specialized, it might not be worth the effort if they don't need to share the policies and they are only tasked like, oh, team, this team is their main task and the initiatives that they need to do is do policies for those types of clusters that are easy to do and quick. Maybe for their case, it's not worth it, the effort of developing everything with OPA and RIGO. But I was saying that at my case, my specific case, it was worth it for me and my colleagues and my teams that we share the same language and then people can shift around and understand the same problem and make solutions. But if you're in a team that is um, tasked with a specific area, you you might want to think about the effort of learning this and applying it.
1: That's a, that's a great point. And, you know, um, it's, it's great to talk about technologies like OPA and, and how you can use it. And, you know, at the beginning of the show, we talked about, you know, um, sort of this, this, um, situation where something that's very, very flexible often introduces, you know, some complexity, right? Something that you can do for a lot of, something that you can use for a lot of different things can often be very complex um, because it is designed to, to do a lot of different things. And so, um, you're right in that, you know, if 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 your use case is very, very specific, very scoped, there may be a better tool out there. And so thinking about that and sort of looking at your use case, I think, is is helpful for, for listeners to kind of think about that. Like, you know, hey, you don't have to, you know, to barrel down the OPA route. If, if all you're doing is this little piece X over here, then maybe there's a, a very specific tool that might be easier to adopt, easier to use that will help accomplish that but just recognize the trade-off of that is that you're gonna end up with sort of multiple point solutions, right? Instead of one more generic solution that may have additional complexity, but you end up in, And so it's all about those trade-offs, right? I mean, as so many things in IT are all about trade-offs, every decision we make is about trade-offs, right? Um, yeah. Understanding mm-hmm. those trade-offs is helpful in, in knowing, you know, should I go down this route or should I not? So thanks for bringing that up. So we are nearing the end of our time slot um, which I think is, you know, it's probably good because it's Friday afternoon and it's time to go celebrate the weekend as we get ready to close. Uh, are there any sort of final thoughts that you want to share with the, the listeners? You know, any sort of, I haven't mentioned this already, but be sure and think about blah. Right. And it's okay if there aren't, but I like to ask every guest before we close, if there is anything else they want to share.
2: Oh, I think that the, um. In regards to the OPA and what we have been discussing, I'm a little bit biased because it has been working really well for me and I think it's super powerful and useful. But you need to be aware that regarding your circumstances, is it going to be worth the effort in terms of there are some companies that might not like introducing a new DSL like RICO and they say like, oh, this needs to be reviewed by more part of the engineering organization. So you need to have a good case and you need to have the specific culture that is going to be easy to adopt this because you also need to make it easy for the rest of people. So I think this is more generic in terms of engineering. When we create things, it's not only about creating, it's about other people being able to read it and fix it in the future. So if people have a lot of friction understanding the way that you're doing things, It's going to be a problem to adopt your new solution. So be aware of how this is going to be shared with the rest of your organization and the teams. And that's the only way that you're going to succeed, in my opinion, because, oh, I have this new OPA with Regal. We're going to solve everything, fix forever. And then two months later, uh, another team say, hey, why are you doing this? We did this in Python and it was much easier to fix and roll it back or something like that then it's going to be a uh, bad a bad day <laughs> and so this this is what I my, my my last thoughts like it's very powerful very useful for me at least and be aware that in your organization it's going to be not only useful but it can be easily integrated for the rest of the teams and it's going to be easy to see the value
1: awesome that's great advice um, you know we do want to make sure that we are thinking as IT technologists. We want to be sure that we're thinking about not just solving our problem, but can we find a way to help solve other people' other people's problems as well, right? And work in collaboration and think about what this is going to look like six months from now, right? When you come back to try and debug a policy, do you even remember, you know, <laughs> any of this stuff, or would it have been better to try and do everything? So, great, great point about some of the non-technical considerations that go into selecting something. Um, Diego, why don't you share, um, you know, sort of like online resources in case somebody wants to follow you because they find, you know, what you're sharing to be useful. Is there, you know, a a blog URL or a Twitter handle or anything like that that uh, listeners can have?
2: Yeah, definitely. So uh, when I post something, usually do something on Twitter. Um, My handle is at Diego Comas, D-I-E-G-O-C-O-M-A-S. And you you can pick me there. And also I had a... A blog at drcommerce.com, but I need more motivation to have better frequency. But just ping me the topics that you would like to to hear about, and I will be happy to to share more information about it.
1: Perfect, great. Well, thank you so much again for being on the show, especially again, you know, Friday afternoon. So we're gonna cut you loose here in just a second and let you go enjoy the weekend <laughs> there in uh, in Spain where you're where you are, uh, listeners. Thank you again for uh, joining us. Um, On this episode with uh, Diego Comas talking about Open Policy Agent OPA and some of the ways that you could potentially put it to use in your environment, Um, Diego shared a great set of resources uh, for learning OPA and uh, learning Rego and also some considerations, you know, before you rush headlong into it, think about some of the uh, things that he has shared in terms of his own personal experience and putting this to work in his environment. We'll have a whole host of resources that we'll add to the show notes so that you have all of that. In the meantime, if you want to get in touch with me, your host, Scott Lowe, you can reach me on Twitter as at Scott underscore Lowe. You can communicate with the podcast directly at FSJ Podcast. This episode, as all episodes are, will be made available through a variety of platforms, iTunes, Google Play Store, Stitcher, blah, blah, blah. And you can always get the episodes from the Packet Pushers website at packetpushers.net. So thanks everyone. And thank you, Diego. Thanks for having me. All right. Have a great afternoon, evening or morning, wherever you are. Thanks, everyone.